0: Amen. Well, good morning, church. If you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of Psalms, chapter 13. Psalm chapter 13. Today we are continuing our series called The Songs We Sing. This is volume two because we looked through various psalms a couple of summers ago. And so we're doing that again this summer, looking at just some of the, the best songs. That's really what the psalms are. They are they are songs that teach us and help us articulate our thoughts and our desires and our feelings toward God, toward others, and and about this world. And so I hope that you're enjoying this. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. You can look on the screens. We'll have the scripture there for you as well. But Psalm chapter 13 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. But So before we dig into that, let me pray and ask the Lord to bless us and help us receive his word today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we get to gather here today. Lord, as your people. God, we know that you have spoken. You have revealed yourself and who you are to this world. Lord, we see your truth in the scriptures. We see who you are. But Lord, let us also see today in light of who you are, who we are. Lord, may this psalm be a mirror to our soul. May it truly speak to our hearts. And by your Holy Spirit, would you change us. Would you transform us into the people that you created us to be? So we love you and we thank you that we get to do this. Thank you that we get to be here. Speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I told you at the beginning of this series, you know, the Psalms are a song book. And just like the songs in our world today, they address a wide range of emotion. Well, except for maybe country songs. Those are all just sad, right? But <laughs> not a big country fan. But some, some of these songs that we find in the Psalms, some of them praise God, so they're very joyful. They're very happy, right? While others are more somber. Some of them reveal the depths of darkness that the human soul can really dive to. Some even begin by questioning God Himself. What's fascinating about Psalm 13, where we're looking at today, this, this song written by David, it's fascinating because it speaks to all three of those thoughts or feelings. Questioning God. The dark night of the soul. And yet somehow finding Praise and joy in the Lord as well. So, if you are wrestling with your thoughts, if you are wrestling with your thoughts about your relationship to God, about how He is intervening or perhaps not intervening in the way you would describe it in your life, if you're wrestling with these kinds of thoughts or feelings about God, this psalm is for you. If you have ever felt like life just wasn't really going the way you thought it would, or it should turn out for you, if you thought or you think now that your life is too far gone, this song today is for you. Psalm chapter 13. Let's read this song in its entirety. It's just six verses, pretty short, but rich with meaning. So let's read, starting in verse 1. David, the author, says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Beautiful song. In this short but incredibly insightful song, the composer David, he helps us wrestle with these different thoughts and feelings, some of which, listen, we may be ashamed to admit this today, as we walk through this today, you may think, I don't, I don't think I would ever say this, but maybe this is what I am saying in my heart. Maybe this is what my soul is really singing. But David helps us. He helps us not only to admit, to admit these thoughts and these feelings, to verbalize them. He helps us to address them. So I think maybe the first thought, the first feeling that we see David crying out here to God about. And perhaps this is what you have thought before or you're thinking now is this. I feel as if God has turned his back on me. Have you ever felt like saying that? Maybe you've never wanted to say that. Maybe you've been too scared to say that. Maybe you're thinking that, though, in your heart of hearts. That's how you feel towards God right now. I just feel like God has turned his back on me and nothing seems to be going right. My life seems to be falling apart in different ways, or at least I'm on this slippery slope and I don't see a way back. You see, four times, four times, David asks God, what? How long? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? He says in verse one. Verse two, he says, how long? Must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long, Lord? You see, we often hear the phrase, time heals all wounds. You've heard this. Perhaps you've said this to someone. But is that really true? Does time Heal all wounds. David is at his wit's end. He's tired of waiting for relief. Have you ever felt that way before? You've just been tired of waiting for God to answer a prayer. You've been tired of waiting for something to happen that you've been thinking should have already happened in your life. David feels this way. And isn't it interesting that he is verbalizing this to God. Notice, notice though that he calls God by his personal name. Now we looked at this again last week in Psalm 8. David, when he uses the word LORD in all caps, right? So in the English Standard Version translation, LORD, L-O-R-D, in all caps represents the name Yahweh. That was the Hebrew name of the, the God, the one true God right the God of the Israelites Yahweh so it's a personal name right it's it's, it's the way for Israel to call God by his personal name but but maybe maybe that's why at least partly David feels so let down maybe he feels so frustrated because he knows God yet he looks at his circumstances, he looks at his emotions, he looks at his feelings, and he feels as if God does not care. He's in a dark place. But he knows, he knows God, he knows him by his personal name. He has a relationship with him. So why doesn't God do something? How long, O oh Lord, will you let me feel this way? How long am I going to have to wrestle with these kinds of thoughts that I just can't get out of my head? How long, O oh Lord? Is this going to go on? Please consider me and help me, he says. But he's voicing. David is voicing what many of us are probably too scared to say to God. Where are you, God? Where are you? Where is your favor? Where is your blessing? You see God's face looking at someone When you see in the Old Testament the description of God's face looking at a people or a person or His face shining down on someone, that is symbolic of God's blessing. It's symbolic of God's favor on that person or that people. You see this throughout the Old Testament. You see it in Numbers chapter 6. Look at this. On the screen, the Lord spoke to Moses. This is long before David, right? Saying, speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. See, David is a descendant of those Israelites. He is an Israelite. He's wondering, where is that? Where is that blessing My Lord, my God, where is the favor that you promised my people? Why is my life not going the way I thought it would? I'm one of God's people. I thought things would be different. Am I not supposed to receive your blessings? Isn't that why you called me into your family to bless me? You see, his turmoil is really a conglomerate of things, isn't it? If you look at verse 2, it shows us that his problem is part psychological. The NIV translates in verse 2, the phrase there, take counsel in my soul. The NIV translates that, wrestle with my thoughts. You ever wrestle with your thoughts? There are some thoughts in David's head that he just can't get out of there. And it's a mental wrestling match every day. And so, what is that? It's causing him. It's causing him some serious emotional problems. In other words, he phrases it sorrow in my heart all the day. Then, the end of verse 2 shows us that part of his problem is not just psychological or emotional, part of his problem is social or relational in some way. Because notice he says that he has an enemy. He has an enemy of some sort who seems to have the upper hand over him. David feels the pressure of the world around him. The enemy bearing down on him. Making him feel as if he is not good enough. Making him feel threatened. Making him feel as if he has no place. But verse 1 shows us that it's not just... Psychological. It's not just emotional. It's not just relational. His greatest problem. His greatest problem mixed in with these other thoughts and feelings and circumstances that he's wrestling with in his mind every day, all day, every day, is the fear that God has turned his back on him. You see, that's the greatest problem that David can't get around, and all those other issues are springing forth from that. They're symptoms of this deeper realization, or at least suspicion, that God has turned his back on him, that perhaps God has really abandoned him to his enemies, to his own thoughts that he can't overcome. Have you ever felt this way before? Do you feel this way now? The late theologian and pastor James Montgomery Boyce wrote an excellent commentary on this psalm. That's very helpful. He says, As a result of counseling people over more than two decades of my ministry, I am convinced that a feeling of abandonment is far more common than it appears to be. Many people feel abandoned, by others first, but ultimately also by God. He goes on to discuss how Christians are afraid to admit this. Christians are often afraid to admit how we actually feel about God because we may find it to be embarrassing. But he says, if any of us should admit to such feelings, many of our friends would look at us, shake their heads, and wonder whether we are Christians. Isn't that true? He says, isn't that the chief reason why you do not talk to other Christians about this or many other problems in our lives? Now, listen, I am no actor, okay? I've never been good at acting. I wasn't in drama club or anything like that, but I know bad acting when I see it, okay? Maybe some of you can relate, right? Like Tom Hanks, good actor, right? Nicholas Cage
1: oh,
0: you know I know I just offended some of you because National Treasure is your favorite movie but let's be real all right but how good are you how good are you at acting and what I mean is how good are you at acting like everything in your life is just good fine I'm good right I mean it's amazing It's amazing how many of us will act as if we're okay in front of others when we are really hurting on the inside. We've even incorporated this into our standard greeting to one another, right? I mean, think about it. You walk in the hallway here, like, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. (laughs) Now, I get it, right? In a short interaction. We just want to get out of the interaction, right? Not that we're looking to get out of the conversation, but I mean, if someone says I'm terrible, right? Oh boy, this is going to take 10 minutes, right? No. <laughs> but it's kind of funny though, isn't it? How you doing? Good, good. Yeah, I'm good. When we lived in South Carolina, I pastored a church there and uh, I had a good friend who was a pastor at another church and we used to meet together once a week to talk about life and ministry. So I'd be talking, he, he was older than me and he was a good mentor of mine. And, and I'd, I'd be talking <clears throat> about, you know, ministry challenges and things and just kind of maybe some surface level things, you know, and there would always be a point in the conversation where he would look at me and say, so how are you doing? okay, I get it. You told me how church is going. You told me some of the things that you're struggling with and on an organizational level, but how are you doing? That wasn't always what I wanted to hear him ask me that, but it was always what I needed. And so my question is, do you have someone like that in your life? Do you have a Christian friend, a Christian mentor, perhaps, that? once you get beyond talking about the weather and how hot it is and all that good stuff, they can look at you and say, so how are you really doing? So many of us live our Christian lives isolated, alone. In a room this size, many of you are. You don't have to raise your hand, I know it. It's very common. It's our natural inclination. We don't want to open up our hearts and our lives to other people, it's embarrassing. We don't want someone to know that we may feel the same way David does about God, that maybe He's abandoned us. That maybe He's not showing the favor to me. I thought He would. We're afraid of what people may think of us if we open up to them, if we're honest. God is not asking you to open up to everybody, right? That's what Facebook's for. What we see here... We need one person at least, someone you know, someone you trust, someone that knows you, someone that trusts you, that you can open up to and just be honest about how you feel. We need this because there are going to be real, serious challenges in your heart, in your mind that we face, that you face, where it seems as if God is distant or perhaps worse, has turned his back on you. To quote Boyce again, James Boyce gives some really good examples. So, so do you feel, let me ask you, do you feel as if God has abandoned you in these examples he gives? What about family relationships, marriage? That might be the challenge. It may be, he says, that the happiness of the early days of marriage has been replaced by the stress of trying to work out personality conflicts or other difficulties. Could be Parenting. He says, you remember the early days when it was comparatively easy to rear your children. Your family had many good times together. But now one or more of your children is antagonistic and rebellious. And everyone else in the family suffers under the inevitable strain. Has God forgotten? Have the blessings of God been taken away forever? Has God abandoned this family or this child or you?" He gives work as an example. Perhaps he says, in the early days of your career, you seemed to make rapid progress and succeeded at almost everything you touched. But now you've entered to a point in your career in which your early successes have kind of leveled off. Or perhaps he says, it's spiritual. Maybe for many months now, you have been in a slump and you're thinking... You've been dredging up past sins and have been wondering, is God punishing me for what I did then? I confessed the sin and believed He forgave me, but maybe He is bringing it up again and putting me on hold because of it. These examples that he gives here are so real and so true. Yet we don't want to verbalize this to God. We don't want to talk about this to anyone else. We just internalize it and we wrestle with these thoughts all day long and sorrow is in our hearts. Yet, we need someone to look at us from an objective standpoint and help us walk through our thoughts and our feelings about God and what's going on. You see this apparent contradiction, and that's what it is. There's an apparent contradiction between God and His promises and our circumstances and feelings, God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You feel left. You feel forsaken. You feel abandoned. It's an apparent contradiction. But does it have more to do with something God is or isn't doing? Or you? Well, David doesn't get to the answer quite yet. Interestingly, the next part of this song shows us that David refuses to stop talking to God. He's just going to keep pressing on in prayer. He's going to keep talking to God. He's going to keep expressing his feelings to God. He refuses to stop praying. He continues to speak directly to God. And look what he says in verse 3 and 4. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Have you ever wanted to say that to God? Essentially, David is saying what maybe many of us don't really want to say. Something like this. Please look at me and answer me, God. Please look at me. Shine your face back upon me. Turn back around and look at me and answer me, help me. David pleads with God to see him, to hear him, To answer him. Boyce says that prayer is the turning point in this psalm. You see, even though David, even though David feels as if God has abandoned him, he doesn't give up praying. He doesn't give up praying to God and being honest about how he feels and what he's thinking. This is the key. This is the key. To continue pressing into the Lord, not further away. If you think He is distant, pray to Him and tell Him that. And ask Him to look at you and answer you. He's being honest with the Lord. Do you pray like that to God? Do you pray like that to God? Or have you just some rehearsed phrases that you quote in your prayers? And that's about as deep as it gets. That's about as strenuous as it gets. Is there a real silent moment in your day where you get before the Lord and you just say exactly how you feel to God? Because guess what? He already knows. But He wants us to express to Him exactly what we are thinking. Do you pray like that to God? Do you pray at all? Do you pray at all when you feel this way? Many of us don't. We start feeling this way or thinking this way, and we just continue moving back away from the Lord instead of pressing forward as David did. Consider me, answer me, O Lord. Light up my eyes, he says. One of our core values here at Kernan is we pray frequently and specifically. This is derived from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. In other words, we want to pray frequently in our lives, consistently in a rhythm, and a pattern. But also we want to be specific about the things that are bothering us and, and the things that are causing us to be anxious. But look at what Paul says. He says in Philippians 4, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. In other words, Paul says nothing is off the table. Speak it all. Say it all to God. He already knows anyways. Speak to Him. And then what? Verse 7, Paul says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Gosh, isn't that what we want? The peace of God, which surpasses all attempts at us trying to understand our circumstances and understand our lives. Don't you want the peace of God to guard your heart, to guard your mind in the truth and the security of Christ Jesus? That's exactly what Paul is saying. So we press on. We pray. We don't give up. Praying and seeking the Lord and being honest with Him and articulating how we feel. This isn't the end, but this is the pathway. Keep, keep, keep on here. Listen, Jerry Bridges in his book, Trusting God. Excellent book. Jerry Bridges says, As long as the ultimate outcome of an adversity is in doubt, we should continue to pray, asking God to change the situation, but we should pray this in the same spirit as Jesus did. Not as we will, but as God wills. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's what he's referencing, right? The night before Jesus would be crucified, he's in the garden, he's praying to God the Father, and he says, not my will, but yours be done. But if there's any other way, if there's any other way, Lord, would you allow this to happen? But not my will, but yours be done. And that's what Jerry Bridges says, we should pray. Sometimes he says, God's will is deliverance from the adversity. Sometimes it is the provision of grace to accept the adversity. Trusting God for the grace to accept the adversity is as much an act of faith as is trusting him for deliverance from it. You see, prayer, the purpose of prayer when you're in that dark night of the soul the purpose of prayer is not to convince God to help you it's not to inform him as if he didn't already know what was happening the primary purpose is to tune our hearts to his it's an amazing spiritual phenomenon when you speak to the creator of the universe who made you and knows you better than you know yourself when you spend time articulating how you feel to him, what is he doing? He is shaping and tuning your heart into the same frequency as his, so to speak. Remember the old radio dials, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You had to turn it. We don't even have to do that in our car anymore, right? It used to be so obnoxious, you had to turn the radio dial to tune in. That's what prayer does, though. It is tuning your heart into the same frequency as the Lord's. It's not informing him of something he didn't already know. No, it's changing you. It's changing you. So David doesn't quit praying. He doesn't stop spending time with God, even though he feels this way, even if he voices his frustration with God. But then, light. A flicker, a glimmer of light, of hope in the darkness, the fruit of prayer begins to grow. And look what David look what happens. Look look what happens with David's thoughts and his feelings. He abruptly changes direction in this song and sounds like a completely different person. Look at this. David just prayed in verse 3 for God to light up his eyes. Perhaps perhaps that's exactly what God did because he gave David eyes to see what he needs. And to know in this moment of darkness, what? Verse 5, look, but I, David says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully to me. In other words, he has been good to me. It's as if David is saying, the more he thinks about it, the more he dwells on the goodness of God and the love of God that he knows to be true, even in spite of how he feels. It's as if David is saying, I know I'm okay because you love me. I know I'm okay because you love me. Isn't this, isn't that what you want to be able to say? I know I'm okay because God loves me. And I might have to wrestle with this. I may have to wrestle with that. And I don't know that I can trust the love of anyone else on this earth because the love, human love, will fail. But there is a love that is unfailing. There is a love that persists. There is a love that pursues. I know I'm okay because God loves me. (laughs) Yeah. Ultimately... How will we learn? How will we learn to be able to really say that, to really mean that, and feel His presence in our bad circumstances? Well, we've already seen this. We must keep praying His truths. We must keep wrestling with our thoughts by fighting them with the Word of God. Listen, if you're in that wrestling match, then in a sense, praise God, because you're not just laying down and letting the enemy overwhelm you. You are fighting back. You are wrestling, but you have to wrestle with the truth of the word. You have to take the word of God and just let it saturate your heart and your mind and your thoughts, meditate on its goodness and its truth and who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And that is the key. That is the key. David is fighting here. These are fighting words. He is determined to fight his bad thoughts with what he knows is true, even if he doesn't feel it to be true. What does he do? He remembers. He meditates on God's love that he already has experienced and received. He knows. He knows he has trusted in the Lord's steadfast, unfailing love. His salvation is true firmly planted, it is secure. He can rejoice because of this. He can rejoice in this regardless of his circumstances. And even though his own thoughts and feelings are telling him otherwise, no, he motivates himself to the point of singing, he says in verse six, because he intentionally meditates on God's grace in his life. His salvation prompts him to worship even when he doesn't feel like it. Ultimately, he knows he's okay because God loves him. And what an amazing thing to know. What an amazing thing to just, to have the assurance that God loves you. Let that sink in for a second. That the creator of all things zones in to this little earth, looks closer at your house, looks even closer at you, and says, I love you. Now, whatever else you're listening to and whatever else they're saying and whatever thoughts you're wrestling with, no, listen, I, I love you, so you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Jesus himself, Jesus himself the Son of God was assured of this. Here's our assurance. Look at this Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John. In the Jordan. This is when Jesus was first starting his ministry. What did he need? He was about to go through three years of sorrow and suffering as he worked for others, as he served others. What assurance did he need to go through those dark times? The approval of his father. Verse 10, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. See, Jesus had the assurance of God the Father's love. Unbroken. Unrestrained. Unfailing. Jesus knew he was okay because God the Father loved him. And this was true for all of eternity past. Look at John 1. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You see, John is telling us, he's giving us insight into something that a human would never else otherwise be able to know or see that Jesus had always known the father's love always and forever in the past in the perfect trinity god the father son and holy spirit the one true god have always been a community of self-giving love there is no doubt in the trinity there is no abandonment this is why we say god is love but that's what makes the crucifixion of Jesus, all the more staggering as we think about how He had always had the Father's love with no restraint, with no abandonment, without fail. Jesus, the Son of God, while hanging on the cross for our sin, who had never felt the abandonment of His Father, in that moment, when darkness covered the land, he experienced the most excruciating, unbearable loss that we can't even fathom. Jesus, the Son of God, felt in that moment what it was like for God the Father to turn His face away. To turn His face away from His Son, Jesus. Why? so that he could turn his face towards hopeless sinners like us. Jesus bore the sins of the world on himself so that you and I could have the favor and the shining face of God on sinful creatures like us forever. That Jesus would put himself in our place and take the penalty for our own sin that we deserve on the cross, that He would pay that, so that as God the Father turns His back on Jesus, He turns Himself to us and says, Welcome into my family. Jesus did what we could never do. Earn the approval. Earn the blessing. Earn the favor of God for us. see on the cross Jesus was singing a song do you know that on the cross Jesus was quoting a song as he hung there feeling the abandonment of God the Father so that we don't have to in Psalm 22 that's what Jesus quoted do you know this my God my God why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning Jesus was saying what we want to say but we don't have to Because it's not true. God has not abandoned you. He abandoned Jesus so that He doesn't have to abandon you. Jesus sang the darkest song. Jesus sang the darkest song in the darkest hour so that you and I could sing a different song. I know I'm okay because you love me. I know I'm okay because you love me. If you have turned to Jesus for your salvation... God the Father now looks at you and says, this is my son, this is my daughter. You are my son, you are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And nothing can change that, ever. Nothing that you have done, that you will do, that someone else does to you, nothing can ever change the fact that God's the Father, God the Father's love is directed at you. So if that's true for you today, if you have repented of your sin, if you turned from thinking that you can save yourself, thinking that you can earn God's approval, if you've turned away from that mindset and fallen on your knees before Jesus Christ and said, be my Savior, be everything I can't be, if you have trusted Him in that way, in faith, this is true for you. All of this is true. You can know that you're okay because God loves you. So if that's you today, if Psalm 13 is speaking to you, what do you do? And I want to say this before I even say these two reminders. If, if you are struggling on a deep level with your thoughts, please seek out professional help, right? We need that, and maybe you need that, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. So seek that out if that's what you need. But what should we all do as Christians, as Jesus followers? Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Never stop preaching. What I mean is, never stop preaching the gospel to yourself. As Paul David Tripp always reminds in his his works, he says, never stop. Don't stop preaching the gospel to yourself. You're the one who talks to yourself the most. You need to hear it. Take the time to get into the Word of God, to meditate on the Father turning His face away from Jesus and on you, knowing you're okay with His love. Yes, we should acknowledge our feelings to God, just like David in Psalm 13. But... But we must cry out to God. Look to the cross and sing of his unfailing love, for he has been good to us. For he has been good to you. He has already proven that he has been good, that he is trustworthy. He has proven this to you by coming to earth to die for you. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Romans 8:28 tells us that for all of us who do know the Lord, right? What is He doing? He's working all things out together for good. He is working all things out together for our good and His glory. Even though we don't understand, and even though it hurts, and even though it's painful, I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to underestimate that. And I understand that some of us, it's difficult. And the wrestling with the thoughts, it's difficult. But Jesus says, I am here and I love you. And ultimately, you are going to be okay. You will be with me forever. But even right now, in this moment, I am with you. Jesus, as we read earlier in Hebrews during the worship, he can sympathize with that. He knows. He knows. He was the man of sorrows. He knows the hurt. He knows the pain. He knows the darkness. He knows the suffering. He knows how you feel, and he's right beside you. He's always there. If you think he's distant, is it something that God is doing? Is it something that you're mistaken about? Is it something where maybe your thoughts have been distracted, and you are meditating too much on the wrong thing? Never stop praying. Never stop preaching the gospel to yourself. And find someone who can help you. Find a Christian brother or sister who can really speak life and truth into your heart to help you to walk alongside you. Find that. Seek out a professional counselor. Seek out whoever you need, whatever you need, but get the help you need. Listen, can I just say, we all need help. And that's kind of the point of the sermon today. There is nobody in here who can pretend or act like they're all good and they don't have thoughts that they wrestle with. We all have that to different levels and different degrees perhaps in some ways, but we all wrestle with our thoughts about if God really loves us. So never stop praying. Never stop preaching the gospel to yourself. Speak to someone who knows you and loves you that you trust. Just like we've done every week, so far, in this series, Kyle and Emily are going to come out and they're going to sing they're going to sing the truths of this psalm to us. So as they sing to you, I want you to remain seated and just listen. Maybe use this time to pray and just cry out to God, "How long, oh Lord, are you going to let me wrestle with these thoughts? Jesus, would you?" Secure my mind. Would you give me that peace that Paul talked about in Philippians 4? Lord, I'm expressing my anxieties and my fears to You, but would You ground my mind, ground my heart in the security of Your salvation? Let me know that I'm okay because You love me. Let this song speak to You in that way, and maybe, just maybe, speak to God in that way as they sing. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we all wrestle with thoughts that just aren't true. Lord, just because we think something about you or we think something about ourselves doesn't make it true. But Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. So would you give us hearts and minds that are so focused on your truth, on your goodness, on what you've already done to secure our salvation, to bear the wrath of God so that we could have the favor of God, to bear the abandonment of the Father so that we could have his face shine upon us. Jesus, you are glorious. You are perfect in all your ways. You are truly our Savior. Let us know that we're okay because you have loved us in this way. So Lord, help us as we wrestle. Let us sing of your unfailing love. For you have been good to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: But I